0: queer child ain't safe in a family full of Black cis-het folk who choose to erase James Baldwin and Stormy DeLavie and Lady Chablis and Polly Murray. And it's like, why is it that I didn't know who these people were? That's unacceptable. There are these Black queer folks. They are dressed in, integral to our liberation as Black people. How come I just learned their names in the last couple of years? That's
1: a problem. Hello, and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Griot. This week, we're speaking to one of my favorite people to speak to, one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram, Brandon Kyle Goodman. So uplifting and encouraging to the LGBTQ community, but also like everybody else. He's just such a light and so, so, so open with his experiences and it helped me get comfortable navigating conversations that don't come naturally. I'm so excited to have Brandon Kyle Goodman. He is one of the lead writers on Big Mouth on Netflix, and he recently debuted his one-man show, The Latrell Show, last month. You can still catch it streaming online. I'll get you all the information for that, but we get into how he cultivated that character, how it helped him navigate his journey of coming out and learning to love himself, and what he hopes to share with the public as we continue to embrace the fight for LGBTQ rights and equality. It's a really interesting time on TV right now. Anyway, I got to talk to the 33-year-old non-binary writer, actor, and advocate, Brandon Kyle Goodman. He really uses his forces for good and has a knack for creating videos that go viral and just get to the heart of things and conversations that we really should all be talking about in 2021. He constantly tackles issues of race, Black trans issues. He talks about his husband, who he married just a bit before the pandemic, and of course his work on projects like Big Mouth, and the upcoming spin-off Human Resources. Both of his podcasts are definitely worth a listen. One is called Do the Work and that focuses more on like race and relationships as well as black folks with an X and that is focused more on communicating people's experiences. Brandon is the perfect example of what happens when art and activism collides in a really important way. And I'm so glad that he is my next guest on Acting Up. Hey, Brandon. I'm so grateful, so excited to have you on Acting Up. You are someone who I can honestly say really helped me get through quarantine.
0: Oh, uh, wow. I am not
1: big on social media, but something about watching you, whether you were being silly and doing, you know, what is it? Tell me something messy. Yes. Messy Monday. (laughs) Messy Monday. I love, I live for messy Mondays. And other times you were just being really vulnerable and honest. And it felt like speaking for me and all of these crazy thoughts that were racing through my mind, nonstop all the time, you know, reacting to, trauma reacting to you know person after person name after name being gunned down by police yeah. you know just like venting about educating these white folks and you know that's not our job but somebody's got to do it so I was constantly pointing people to like yo I'm stocked up but go to see go see about Brandon because he has yes. some info
0: for you <laughs> that was the hope the hope was like listen if I got the capacity to put some stuff out and people could be like, just go to his page, then I feel like I'm doing my gig.
1: You really are. I mean, it's really incredible. And you're so consistent with it, even now. And I just find myself always just like, yes, like, yes, yes. Like you just get it. And it's such an incredible gift for all of us. I think I'm I'm very grateful to you.
0: This is a wonderful way to start
1: my morning. Right. And I think the other thing that, you know, in my mind, in my mind, you're like my therapist, you're like my best (laughs) friend in my head. Um, And I know there has to be so many other people that feel like that. I am not part of the LGBTQ community. And I am very, uh, you know, I get a lot out of following you, but I would imagine for particularly like young people in the community, getting into the community, getting comfortable with being part of that community, you have to be just such like a beacon of light to them.
0: I mean, I hope so. You know, it's that thing, you know, be the thing that you want to see in the world or be the change you want to see in the world. And so I think growing up, I didn't have a lot of people to look up to uh, that were, you know, especially in Hollywood, like openly queer and Black and, you know, non-binary. So. I was, you know, I would latch on to certain people. I definitely latched on to RuPaul or Wanda Sykes and certain people, but there just wasn't a breath of, of different types of people and different types of comedy. And so that's my hope when I'm on the social media is that I can be uh, a light for somebody else who is also, you know, co- as you said, coming into the community or or looking to see, you know, somebody that's like them, that is black, but also queer and comfortable in both those spaces. and can be, you know, say things that are meaningful, but can also make dick jokes, (laughs) you know, like, and she can run the gamut of it all, you know, so, so that is my hope. So it's really humbling to hear that that is what's coming across.
1: Totally. The other thing that I just am so happy that you get is so important. And that is that, like, no matter if you are LGBTQ, if you are 75 years old, if you are Black or white or struggling or happy, like, the one thing that really like unites us and that you know just provides like an endless source of inspiration and hope and beauty is our greatest gift and that's Beyonce (laughs) yes yes (laughs) people that don't get that
0: I just don't have room for you Truly, I did a panel like last week with some artists, and I quoted Beyonce like twice. And I was like, "Listen, just so you know, I'm gonna quote Beyonce, <laughs> but if we're making art, let's talk
1: about one of the greatest <laughs> artists of our
0: generation."
1: <laughs> of oh, my not God. so, yes, I'm with Thank you. Thank God, God bless Beyonce. You know, it's um, it's it's Pride Month in June, and it's also yeah. Black Music Month. Yeah. And it's also, I think, like the 20th anniversary of Destiny's child, which is. Not-
0: I, Courtney, every day, <laughs> just so you know, every day I think about Destiny's child reuniting. <laughs> and like how I will be at every location <laughs> mm-hmm. I just like on my husband went camping last weekend and this you know like you know when your partner goes away it's like oh I can do anything I can see anybody I was at home I ordered food and I watched Destiny's Child in Atlanta the full two and a half hours and got my
1: whole life <laughs> what else would you be doing on a, on a Saturday night? <laughs> I was like this is perfect this is the best night of my life I know. I just, gosh, like Kelly Roland is a good friend of mine and I just feel like I'm constantly jeopardizing the friendship because every so often in the middle of the night or day or whatever it pops into my mind, I'm like, hey girl, so... How about next month for the reunion? Like, my could world,
0: you do you something? <laughs> come
1: over? <laughs> I would fuck up my friendship because I'd be like, "So, how's Michelle and Beyonce? Are they are they coming
0: to brunch as well?" Or right? Yeah.
1: And, oh, was she busy today? I know. No, it's like a very weird thing. I just have to like compartmentalize. Like Kelly, the person is yes. like, Kelly the person. Yeah. But then there's this whole other like back window where I'm like, you literally hold the keys to my happiness in literally. hands. <laughs>
0: Courtney, for the culture, you just have to, like, find a way to be like, so, like, you know, what do you, do you need help planning the tour? (laughs) What needs needs to happen? I can start something. I can do a campaign. What do you need, Kelly? Tell me what you need to make this happen
1: for us. We deserve it. I think at this point. Yes. Oh gosh. Um, Brandon, tell me about the Luttrell show because I'm quite intrigued just from the photos and info that I have. I know some people have seen it live,
0: but yes. you're
1: gonna, you filmed it and you're gonna roll it out for like all of us to see this month, right?
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting is some people have seen the character but no one has seen this show. So okay. I started playing this character about 10 years ago and it's, his name is Luttrell Jackson. And he's a talk show host who has like this, like New York kind of Harlem, I'm from Queens kind of, way about him, but extremely femme and extremely comfortable in his flamboyance and in his Blackness and queerness, which in many ways was me, you know, in my 20s trying to reckon with the intersections of my identity and finding the safe space on stage to do that. And then over the last like four years, I've been trying to write my newest solo show, which I wanted it to be about being Black and queer and the mental aerobics of that and mental health. And Luttrell just seemed to be like the right uh, vehicle to do that. This like, Latrell was my coping mechanism. So in the show, you see how Luttrell becomes somebody else's coping mechanism. So the show really, uh, investigates the mental aerobics of being Black and queer in America and and our mental health and our resilience, but also our pain. And I say that I want Black people to feel seen and validated in this show. And I want non-Black people and white people to feel the experience. Obviously that's a hard and a tall order, but my hope is like, even for a millisecond, can I make them feel just the complications of what it is to experience being Black in this country?
1: Yeah. That sounds so powerful. And also so, I mean, I don't know. I know that you're an actor, of course, but like you're like a big boy, like writer now, like a yes. big time, you know, so it's kind of weird to come back and like you're performing and it's, is it pretty much just you? in it's the show? It's just
0: me. It's a solo show. It's just me.
1: Was it daunting to get back into that? It was. It was daunting to get back into it and
0: also do it inside of the constraints of COVID where it's like, Literal is a really funny, boisterous character. I like, I was inspired by Wendy Williams's t- uh first, like her sneak peek before she got the show. There was like, I think a, a two month sneak peek where it was a mess. And I loved every moment of it. And I just loved it. To me, it's like, that's the most raw, honest version of Wendy, uh, who like didn't understand what the cameras were and was just trying to do her thing. And so that's where this character was kind of inspired from. Uh, And so it's daunting to like get back into this without an audience, especially, like without having that Mm. immediate feedback. That was really scary. And then also just to be like, can I talk for 90 minutes and have it be interesting? Yeah. Okay. But just like having to trust that, you know, my mother was a a solo artist. My grandmother was a minister. So just like trusting my legacy and trusting that, you know, I have what it takes to, to, to step up to the plate, so. It was, it's been gratifying.
1: I know that you, you do spend a lot of time, you know, working to educate your followers, particularly on issues about the LGBTQ community. And so that that's something that you sign up for, but does it ever feel, you know, heavy, like very heavy to almost be like a representative? I mean, you know, the Latrell show is a perfect example. Like you said, like you hope people feel seen, but right now there's just, Not that much. So inevitably, you do kind of become a spokesperson. And we know, you know, no matter how you identify, you can't speak for everyone. So like, how do you kind of grapple with that?
0: I try to be specific with the language that I use. And I try to like, I try to refrain from saying, this is how we all feel. This is how we all, like, I try to really respect that we're not a monolith, but I'm gonna speak from my experience. And from the, you know, i talk to a lot of people and I have a lot of friends. And so I'm gonna speak from our experiences. And then I also try to take that pressure off of like representing everybody. Because to me, the best work, whether it's TV, film, books is when it's specific to the artist. And then somehow it speaks to all of us i think i may destroy you is a is an incredible example of that this last year we're like that was michaela's story and that was something that she wanted to tell but how it resonated with all of us across the diaspora across ethnicities and, and ages and and gender we all felt it because it was so specific and so that's what i remind myself as an artist let me do this thing that speaks to me, that is specific to me, and trust that by telling as clear a story as possible, that it will end up resonating for a larger uh, audience in a larger space.
1: Yeah, it is so weird. I mean, that is tried and true, that like the more specific the story, the more universal, and it doesn't make sense, but yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, it is. You just see yourself because when you do those broad strokes, it's kind of like, well, who is this for? It becomes for kind of nobody. But if it's for somebody, be it you or your community or your mom or your dad or whatever, then all of a sudden it speaks to all of our moms and all of our dads and all of ourselves. Uh, and I think that that is the best art. So yeah. that's, that's my commitment is to, well, you know, I mama oprah talk about beyonce and now let's go to oprah like what is your intention always everything i do like what is the intention if i can like if i can label that and stick to that then i'm good no matter what happens i'm good
1: yeah um something you said about what latrell was for you you know Mm -hmm. um, particularly in your youth made me think of the story i read this morning which is billy porter yes oh my gosh like billy porter today you know, basically shared that he's HIV positive and has been for, I think, like 14 years Yeah. Um, and told virtually practically nobody, nobody. about his diagnosis. And he said that pray tell on Pose, uh, like he was able to say and express everything that he felt about that through a proxy mm-hmm. unbeknownst to us all of this time. But now when yeah. he comes out with this story, I don't have that many questions because I've been watching him live this out on Pose. Um, What do you, number one, like what was your reaction to him making that declaration? Because that's pretty powerful.
0: It's really meaningful. And this is the conversation of like using your platform. And I don't think it's the responsibility of everyone that's visible to have to use their platform in that way. But I think you, especially when you're of a marginalized group, whether it's black, queer, women, whatever it is, you understand the value of visibility, right? Mm-hmm. And so HIV has had the stigma, especially in our community for so, so long. And to have this person who is thriving, who is successful, who is so comfortable in his skin, be able to say, this is who I am and this is my experience. It frees him and it frees so many other people. And so it's really just beautiful and meaningful and impactful. Like I was like, I, I took an exhale when I saw it on my Instagram because I can't, I imagine that it was an exhale for him as well. You know, this is a thing that he's been holding secret and private for so long, what it feels like to be like, oh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Now I'm free. And how free somebody else now gets to be as well, because they're like, well, Billy can do it. Then what's stopping me? I, I can do it too. And that's so important.
1: Absolutely. I think that Oh my gosh, I have so many questions for please you. also because that. I think you just like know everything but <laughs> <laughs> I do not but I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm sure try- well yeah, we we know you don't know how to cook, which I was. Oh. I was in the in the camp that thought you could throw down in the kitchen. I don't
0: know why. <laughs> I feel like you don't really think because I like to eat. that's the thing like i I'm very specific about the food, but i I do not know how to make it. I can make a burger. That's about it. <laughs> anything else. I'm like, oh no.
1: Focusing on Pride Month, you know, like I always think like last Juneteenth, for example, which with Pride Month, last Juneteenth, our mission was really to inform people on what Juneteenth even was, because a lot of people still didn't know why is it, what does it mean? Um, And this year, it's much more about like, what does freedom look like for us now, right? Because Mm. Juneteenth was all about until everyone was free until the farthest reaches of black folks knew that they were free none of us were yeah. so what does that apply to now like until what
0: i think until we're all thriving do you know i think like we're all quote-unquote free quote-unquote but like are we thriving Are we able, like right now, it feels like all of us are surviving, especially, you know, our Black trans sisters are like surviving and not able to really thrive. And I I think until we're in a place where we're not being killed by police and random white people, and also we're not being killed by, you know, some toxic cishet folk, right, that we are able to find value in each other as a community, but also that the world is valuing us in a way that we are again, thriving, I think that to me is what freedom is now. It's about, if we're getting specific, it's about having access, having mental health support, having resources, having generational wealth, You know, having the policies that protect us and our communities, having the education, having the real education, right? Not the like fake shit that they'd be teaching us about our people and about this country, but the real shit until we get that and there's a value placed on that. I don't think, I don't think we'll be free until then, really free.
1: I I could not agree with you more. And when I apply that same thought process to like, what do I want to talk to people about? Or what do I want people thinking about for Pride Month this mm-hmm. year? Of course, like, yes, like, you know, the ongoing conversation and debate and killing and marginalizing of, trans people in this country and in our community is very much on the forefront of my mind and i think that's kind of like the new you know like the new frontier mm-hmm. the, you know the the big fight of of normalizing and getting people to understand and getting people to know that it applies to them even if they don't think no. that it does is kind of such a tough thing to navigate actually and if there was any issue that made me have some semblance of understanding of what white folks, you know, like, aren't you always like, what goes through your minds? Like, how do you guys not get this? I kind of feel that way sometimes when I really try to immerse myself in, uh, you know, trans issues, because mm-hmm. some of it, I, I can admit, I just don't, I cannot relate. You know what I mean? Like, I just Sorry. don't know. And I would have to have somebody tell me And just as sure as I can say, yo, it's not my job to tell you about being Black or what you should know and what you should or shouldn't do, figure it out, do your research. I don't feel like we've hit that level of open research and dialogue and resources for people to educate themselves without having those tough conversations and asking questions that might seem stupid to a (laughs) a trans person. Mm -hmm. Those really planted seeds of making me think of things that just never crossed my mind before, particularly in season one. But now it's really about, you know, I have kids and how do I raise them up from jump to not have to educate themselves the way I feel like I have to now, right? Like, how do I just make all of this a part of their lives as humans, the way I do race, disabilities, you know, elderly people, like, you know, economic gaps, you know, you see a homeless person on the street, like, how do you just make all of this part of their world from jump? Because it doesn't It have to be at this point in at this time.
0: I think it should be. I mean, I think that, you know, I think what a lot of things come up. I think, yes, it should be. And it's something that we have to be intentional about, especially as a generation that wasn't raised with that openness and that love and that uh, curiosity, right? Like we weren't raised to respect queer folks or especially trans folks. So that is our responsibility. And it's something that we can also it's something that we have to also make sure that we ingrain in our children. And I think it's like diversifying what they're watching, diversifying what they're reading. Like, is there a book that has a trans protagonist that's not in trauma? Is there a TV show with a trans protagonist that's not in trauma? No. Uh, not yet. You know, we need to we need to make sure that happens. But you know, it's like that. those things, like can I find YouTube videos, like uh, YouTube videos or, or, or interviews or experiences or movies or documentaries where uh, trans folks are being uh, revered and held sacred and held in love and can I share that with my kids and can I share that with my family so we start having so that One, trans people aren't having to educate us on this, but also we start to shift the lens in which we're looking at transness or queerness, right? That we're looking at it as something of value, that we're looking at it as something that's sacred and reverent. You know, I say that, you know, queer child ain't safe in a family full of Black cis het folk who choose to erase James Baldwin and Stormy DeLavier and Lady Chablis and Polly Murray. And it's like, why is it that I didn't know who these people were? that's unacceptable. There are these Black queer folks, Bayard Rustin, integral to our liberation as Black people. How come I just learned their names in the last couple years? That's a problem, right? And so to me, as a parent, as a neighbor, as a friend, it's like, I'm going to educate myself and share that knowledge and make sure that as much as you know Martin Luther King Jr., I want you to know Bayard Rustin. You know, those go hand in hand.
1: Yes. You know, my kids, they weren't in school this past year, obviously because of COVID, but we signed them up for soccer a few weeks ago and they're okay. little, like my, like six and almost five. But we get to the soccer field and their dad is a coach and you know, there's boys team and a girls team, but my son's team has one girl on it and she is like really good. Like she's very good at soccer Yeah. and from practice one, you're like, whoa. And I'm sitting with my daughter at the practice, and a woman introduces herself and says, like, oh, I'm Avery's mom. And then another woman comes up and says, I'm Avery's mom. And it was the first time in real time that my daughter had ever seen, you know, had ever ever seen two moms. And of course, I'm like, please don't fucking say, you can't have two moms. You know, like, please don't (laughs) say that. she didn't. She said, you're Avery's mommy. And she said, yes. And she said, you're Avery's mommy. And she said, yes. And she went on about her day. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I wish I would have already thought about this before sure. she experienced it. But then, so that was a few weeks ago. So then this weekend, my friend comes over for dinner and Avery's, you know, like, what's your name? oh, Blue, my name's Blue, do you have a husband or a wife? Not do you have a husband or do you have a wife? She was not in any way wondering if Blue was gay, she just now somehow that quickly and easily put together that you can have a husband or a wife if you want. And if she's gonna ask mm-hmm. someone if they're married, like it's all part of the same conversation. And I was yes. so proud and shocked, you know, that it was just that simple,
0: but it but i would I would like to say that I think that's you. Like I know that you may not feel like you're doing anything actively, but it's even in our conversation, you have talked about queer things with such sensitivity and such reverence and such genuineness. So I have to imagine that your daughter is picking up on that. So, of course, when she meets new moms or she meets somebody, she goes, husband or wife, and it doesn't mean anything because it wasn't a big deal to you. You know what I'm saying? Like right. the kids don't care unless we care. So we put on them, it should be a husband and a wife or it should be a mom and a dad we put that on if we don't put that on them and they're introduced to it they're not they're like oh cool like great deuces like i'm out right. you know so i think that sometimes you know and i think that that to me is also real freedom where we don't have to sit down and explain all the different types of families and whatever one day i hope it is a thing where it just is like we're just around them and it's fine and like kids are like cool and parents are like great and there's not a whole lot of explaining that like freedom is like not having to come out the closet, right? Like one day not having to be like, I'm gay everywhere you go in the same way that straight people don't go, I'm straight, you know, like that freedom where we just allow people to identify how they identify, to build families in the way that they want to build it, uh, whether it's as a single parent or a two-parent household where we just let people be. And Mm -hmm. I think that if you are already comfortable with letting people be, then your kids are not going to be like, well, I'm not comfortable with letting people be. They're right. also going to have that same energy of being comfortable with people just being. Yeah. And it's so
1: beautiful. I I think it's just so, um, it's so important, but there are not a lot of resources for parents. And of course, in just in line with what I do for a living, I have more exposure than say my sister would or someone else in my neighborhood. Sure. To these issues, and they might not, you know, they might not know how to react or like how to normalize these things if it's not in their house. And it's not like I'm sitting here with my yeah. kids like Googling YouTube videos to explain this, but I certainly am like, you know, I don't know if they're playing dress up and AJ wants to, you know, wear the princess dress or the superwoman thing. And Avery's like, you can't wear a dress. Like boys don't wear dresses. I'm like, some boys wear dresses. And they're mm-hmm. like, what? And I'm like, yeah, some boys wear dresses. Some boys don't you know or some girls marry girls and some girls marry guys and some people marry nobody but just that simple um you know I wish that there were more places for parents to go to learn because we did not learn from our yes
0: yes well, two things. I want to say what you also just brought up, which I love, is that there wasn't judgment on it. You're like, some boys wear dresses, some boys don't. You know, usually it's like some boys wear dresses and we don't do that here. Or or there's or or there's like uh some boys wear dresses. You know, like there's a there's an energy around it, but for you, it's like. Yeah, they do, they don't, no big deal. And so for your daughter, it's like, okay, cool, didn't know, great, (laughs) keep wearing your thing. And that's what we need more of, you know? But to your point, I think there are families who are trying to figure this out and don't have the access to the resources. And hopefully our generation will start to build more of those resources. But in the interim, I think it's like, in the same way that I would look up a recipe for how to cook some good fried chicken, or the same way that I would look up maybe how I can talk to my kids about the birds and the bees, I think there are people out there who, uh, you know, have written something or have made a video about it, and it just might mean that you have to like do a little extra research. You might have to go a little out of your way to find it, but it's out there, especially with social media and especially with you know YouTube and all these places. I think that the information's out there; it just may not be as front and center, mm-hmm. um, but because you're committed to your work or we're committed to our work and committed to, you know, raising a generation who is open and loving, it just might mean that our generation might have to do a little extra work, a little extra research, a little going out of the way, a little more asking um, to to find what we need uh, until there's a a, a, a really centralized place for all the information.
1: Absolutely. Um, Last thing I want to talk to you about is another project that I'm excited about. people will have seen it, I hope, by the time this episode of this podcast comes out, and that is the new season of Master of None. Um,
0: uh, I thought it was out already. I, like, literally sat down yesterday, was like, let me go watch it, and it wasn't there. I was like, when does this come out? Oh, gosh. oh you don't have and screeners? There, Netflix I does do. not
1: send you screeners? I don't have I mean, those screeners? No. Oh, well, I <laughs> saw excited, it. Is, it is so good, and it is, I mean, well, okay, let's be real. It is good. It is shocking because if you're a master of none fan you yes. think you're getting one thing and this is not that you know uh, oh, yes. it's five episodes it's mostly you know just lena and the lovely naomi Aki. it's like very little funny you know it, it's a drama yeah. it is a drama but it is a love story um and a relationship that i've never seen on screen between two black women who are married, just navigating marriage and life and pursuing parenthood, but just full Black lesbian (laughs) goggles. And like, who knew, number one, just God, how much like my heterosexual marriage, their marriage is. And then also, wow, like how different it is for them to navigate um, pursuing parenthood. I never really realized how many obstacles there were for uh, gay and lesbian couples to become parents, even in the way that like insurance codes are written for health insurance to get in vitro or any of those things. I mean, that's to me like an LGBTQ issue that I don't hear a lot about. Like, yo, the laws are written different for us.
0: Yeah. I don't know much about it because we haven't started our pursuit for that yet, but Mm -hmm. we've like, you know, we're thinking about it. And so I've like broached little conversations here and there, and it all sounds like an uphill battle. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, it all sounds like a thing. And so I'm glad that the show, which I haven't seen yet, but is shining a light on it so that more people do know what it is and so that we can shift it and we can you know, Maya Angelou, I learned this quote from Maya Angelou, but it's the philosopher Terence. And it says, I am a human being, therefore nothing human can be alien to me. And I put that in the front of all of my scripts, which is basically like, we might have different backgrounds or different identities, but we're both human. We, we want to be loved, we want to be seen, we want to build our families, however that looks like to us. We want to be uh, loved and protected and safe. All of us know what that is. So if I'm telling a human story, even if it's about two black women, you as a white straight cis man with your white cis straight woman, uh y'all can understand. You understand the relationship, right? Even as a cishet black woman, you understand the the dynamics of being in a partnership, you know, um because it's authentic to this experience, this human experience. We all want the same things. Yeah. I um, think so that's what's exciting about it is Um, just uh, from what I just saw the trailer and I saw like a little long extension and I was excited because it sounds like they're just showing you their life. They're just showing you the life of this couple and they're not putting a lot on it. It's not a lot of trauma on it. It's just how does this couple navigate? And you realize, oh, it's how most any couple navigates. There are some differences here and there but they want the same thing. They wanna be seen by each other. They wanna love each other. They wanna build together. They wanna grow together. That's,
1: that's it. Absolutely. Um last thing Brandon it's music month. Yeah. Tell yeah. me tell me three albums like there's no more music in your life ever you can only hear three albums for the rest of your life what are they?
0: Um so it's funny because it's definitely uh, Brandy, Angel in Disguise. Is that the name of the album? Yeah, Angel in Disguise. Or Never Say Never is the name of the album. Never Say Never. never but y'all know. Sure. Yes, but y'all know that whole thing. Have you ever almost as a count? never say never, no. yeah, that album. Um, I'm definitely going to have to say, because we were talking about it earlier, I'm definitely going to have to say Destiny's Child, Writings on the Wall, mm. for sure listen I love them all but for sure writings on the wall I can't live without and then I'm gonna I just because I rewatched the video L- Lemonade is also another one Woo! I would also like to add Anita Baker to the list but it, oh god this is hard but yes but those three those three are like very uh pivotal to my uh development I would say
1: I love that. Now I have, I have one weird one maybe rude question but I can't help it. Oh please. That's okay. Why, why every black gay man that I know and love lives for Brandy Norwood? Lives. Like
0: why? I do you not know?
1: I think I'm not making I, I that
0: know. Up. Yeah. I mean, how could they not? I mean, she's everything. <laughs> I mean, I've like, she was like, I, I like to say that she was like my Beyonce before Beyonce. Cause I, I was like, like, you know, we're talking about nineties. Like she was everything to me. Boy is mine. Cinderella. She, she I don't know. Moesha, I, wherever Brandy was, I, I was in the AOL chat rooms for Brandy. I was, I did it all.
1: Like, I've never, I don't like to generalize. I've never asked. (laughs) I've never met, (laughs) never met a friend who was black and gay that didn't say that about Brandy. And I'm just like, what was it? Was it Malicia? Was it the fashion? Like, what was she giving to y'all so long ago that you love her so deeply? Like, did I just not? I don't know.
0: I think she was just like, like I wanted to be her like uh, that's that's real like I definitely wanted to <laughs> I wanted to be her in many respects and I don't know she just understood the boy is mine like yes queen I stand it is yours <laughs> like what's Monica doing
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that I, I stand for Brandy too but y'all stand for her in a whole different we do. way. I
0: don't know maybe it's like the braid I think also the drama of the braids perhaps like she gave us those long braids. I don't know, she just, she provided, she gave us looks. She was serving black beauty before, before yes, anybody before told it was us mainstream. we could have that, yeah. Yes, before it was like fully, I think that's that's probably it. Before it was really valued in mainstream. I think she was serving it in mainstream, like <laughs> yeah. on MTV. Like she was like serving it. So there was something like, yes queen, yes icon. That's what I want. Yes. So, yeah.
1: Yes. Oh, Brandon, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been so yes. much fun. I wish I could talk to you longer, but I cannot wait to check out The Luttrell Show. Everyone Absolutely. listening should tune in. It's June 23rd. Is that right?
0: So it uh, it, it actually comes out May 23rd. May 23rd. Sorry. Are oh, you fine. It streams until June 20th. And you can go to Iamatheater.com, I-A-M-A, and theater is fancy, the R-E.com for tickets.
1: And yeah, it's exciting. Check it out. Thank you so much, Brandon. So good to see you. Thank you,
0: so good to see you. I'll see you soon.
1: Okay, bye-bye. It's so appropriate that it's Pride Month when we finally get to see a show like what we just got from Netflix and the latest season of Master of None. If you haven't seen it, you were really in for an interesting ride. This is not the master of none that we know and love. Like, do not expect to be rolling on the floor laughing. They have completely done a 180 into the drama side of the show and focused on Denise. Denise is the character played by Lena Waithe. And she's always just kind of been like a sidekick, background, kiki in the restaurant, bouncing jokes off of Aziz and Zari. this season, it is all about her and her relationship with her wife played by Naomi Ackie. This is a one of one. They called it master of none moments in love. And when I think about it, that is such an appropriate title because we get to be flies on the wall in this relationship and we watch them go through the ups and downs of, you know, being newly married and adjusting to changes in life, to really not getting along and trying to become parents. And I was blown away. Anyway, I got to talk to Lena all about these incredible roles on this fantastic series that they took on and really just like left it all on the scene. Here's what Lena
2: had to say. I definitely stretched myself. As an actor in ways i never have before or never had to uh the odd thing about this is I Aziz and I wrote it like almost two or three years ago we, we wrote it a while ago so I wasn't I I hadn't experienced a lot of the things I was writing and there's still some things I have not experienced in terms of fertility and, and, and things like that but we did the research that we needed to do and spoke to women who have gone through that, queer couples who have gone through that. And so there's a bit of an education as well. And that sometimes hospitals don't have the right language to always use for queer couples when they're coming in and trying to conceive. Absolutely. I mean, those are questions that I face when I go visit a gynecologist and things like that. And so, so that I do understand, but in terms of the fertility uh, stuff, we, we did a lot of research. And so there are a lot of things in in this that I have not necessarily experienced or gone through, but I can absolutely relate to it just as a human being and understanding what it's like to be in your 30s, to be queer, to be black. Um, because for me, having been born in the 80s, I did not get to be my queer self as a, as a, as a child, as, a, as an adolescent, even in college, because I was still living with my mom. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until in my 20s was I able to really explore my sexuality and be more comfortable in it. And it wasn't until my 30s that I had my first real significant relationship. Wow. So I, not to make any excuses for myself, but I'm starting at a deficit. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm learning as I go. And I think that is something I really wanted to put into Denise and in that I didn't, I wasn't afraid to make her not likable. I wasn't afraid to make her a villain at times because sometimes you are the villain in your own story. Sometimes you have to be before you can become a hero. And so, and I think that's what I really wanted to infuse. And also too, I, I don't, visibility is just the bare minimum. Yeah. What I really want for queer Black stories, specifically, is for them to be imperfect, is for them to be human, is for them to be light, dark, sad, happy, all the things that relationships are, which are not foreign to straight relationships, you know, but we, we go through the same things. And also in some things, we have hurdles that straight relationships don't face. And so we also want to make sure that was clear as well. Um, and I hope that people will do, will be educated and, and, and want to go do their own research in terms of how hospitals can be more inclusive and can change their language. Um, I really would hope that, that that's something that comes out of this. But it was important for the character to grow up with me as well. I didn't want to just keep doing the same things and going to restaurants and being silly. Mm-hmm. Um, Denise has grown up. She's married. She's living in upstate New York now. She's got a book. And, and there's so many pressures that come with being a queer Black woman, you know, in, term, in terms of you, you're talking to two communities that you have to be a credit to. I love Hattie McDaniel said in her Oscar speech, I hope to always be a credit to my race. Uh, not only am I sort of pressured with being a credit to my race, but also being credit to the queer community. So that can be two things, but also two at the same time, I also just want to be an artist. I also just want yeah. to like fall down. I also want to be a human being, but I don't have that luxury. There were definitely some tough days on set. You know, it's a one of one. And my hope is that it will not always be that. My hope is that it opens up a door and allows people to tell stories of queer characters that are not sanctified, you yeah. know, but they are human. And I think that's the only way we'll be able to really be seen as equals is, is once they realize that we're just as, you know, messed up as everybody else.
1: One thing this show did for me was illuminate some roadblocks that I just didn't ever know were there when it comes to gay couples trying to pursue parenthood. Of course, we know there have been so many developments in science and technology and so many ways that people can become parents. But when it comes down to things like insurance codes and whether or not you can get covered for family planning services, it is still really, really hard for gay and lesbian couples to become parents. And I just didn't know that. And I'm so grateful that this show kind of lit that up. I can't believe it's taken so long. And I also can't believe that in 2021, watching this show was really the first time that I felt like there was a real depiction of a genuine lesbian Black love marriage on TV. I am still reeling from the series finale of Pose. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil all of it. But I mean, okay, we could talk about it a little bit. We knew Pray was not going to make it. But when I tell you, I did not expect to sob the way I did all through watching Billy Porter's last performance as Pray It was just... Gut wrenching and beautiful at the same time to think that Pose is coming to an end and there isn't really a project coming up behind it that it most certainly has made room for is a little bit disappointing. Like, I feel like there is a gaping hole in the marketplace now that that show isn't there, and I can't wait to see who steps up to fill it. But for now, I am just dying for like a three-day weekend where I can rewatch the whole series from beginning to end because what a beautiful contribution it has made to the screen and to the culture. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Rose and produced by Cameron Blackwell.